Section 14 of An Explorer in the Air Service. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. An Explorer in the Air Service by Hiram Bingham. Section 14. Advanced Training for Pursuit Pilots. Part 2. After our students had advanced far enough to be adjudged competent to gauge distances and to fly simple formations correctly with easy turns, they next undertook to learn various offensive manoeuvres in which they were obliged to execute sharp turns, at the same time always retaining their position in the formation in order to keep the patrol well knit together as a unit ready for offence or defence. In making these fast, sharp turns, all pilots were instructed to keep their position, even though those on the inside were obliged to slow down almost to the point of stalling. Until the pilot could fly by instinct, he was very likely to stall and fall into a spin while attempting to make the sharp inside turns of the advanced patrol manoeuvres. Here, however, the confidence which he had obtained in passing through the advance work in acrobatic flying at Field 5 came to his assistance, and gave him that assurance which was necessary in order to have him learn aerial tactics. The crossover, or 90-degree turn, was considered advantageous for small patrols of three machines. In this manoeuvre, each plane turns individually in its own place, the inside pilot climbing on the turn and the outside pilot diving slowly to avoid danger of collision. Machines number two and number three cross so that each has approximately the same distance to cover. Instead of one getting ahead of the other, the formation remains the same. It has the advantage of enabling a right turn to be made quickly and at uniform speed. Later on, in order to teach the pilots to fly in formation automatically, without having to devote conscious attention to the coordination of eye and hand, the patrol leaders were sent out with particular orders to execute steep and unexpected dives and climbs, violent changes of speed, and archy dodging the tailor stunt or right about face necessitated prearranged signals the leader did a renversement or half roll while the other members of the formation did sharp right or left turns depending on their respective places this manoeuvre was considered excellent practice in getting together rapidly and without loss of altitude the importance of constantly increasing the size of the unit was recognized, and patrols of fifteen or more planes were occasionally attempted. It is well known that group flights of this nature were extensively used by the enemy during the summer of 1918. So thoroughly did the Germans appreciate the value of preponderance of numbers in aerial fighting that they built more hangars than were actually necessary for the number of planes in commission at a given time. This enabled them to concentrate a large number of machines at a given point within a very few hours and without the necessity of waiting for the removal of hangars and machine shops. 
a large group of hangars empty yesterday occupied to-day could thus serve as a base for very large formations early to-morrow morning our large groups generally consisted of an agglomeration of units of five planes each the different units formed in different locations at slightly different altitudes the leading unit forming at the lowest altitude and the unit which was to be the last in the group formation at the highest altitude the disadvantage of attempting the use of very large groups is the possibility of one poor pilot being able through his eccentric flying to break up the entire formation this only emphasizes the great need for careful and thorough instruction and the futility of trying to rush pilots to the front without their having acquired complete mastery of the art a man can be taught to fly in a few days of good weather but it is a matter of months before he becomes sufficiently skilful in the art to make certain that he will not break up a large group formation by erratic flying poor judgment or getting rattled through having to give his attention to too many things at once a defensive manoeuvre called the loughberry show was named for a very brilliant ace from wallingford connecticut who was killed at the front the formation when attacked instinctively formed itself into a milling circle milling round and round so that each plane protected the rear of the plane in front and was itself protected by the plane behind in order to form this circle the last plane on the designated side speeds up flies opposite the leader and starts the circle followed by the next to the last plane on that side until the leader is reached when he is followed in natural order by the planes on the other side of the formation as soon as the circle has been completed the leader again assumes direction of the formation, sets the pace, narrows or widens the circle, gains or loses altitude in accordance with his judgment, and finally breaks the circle and gives the signal for reassembling. The importance of this milling circle was dwelt upon with great emphasis by pilots who returned from the front shortly before the armistice was signed it seemed to be the most effective way in which a small formation could escape successfully from the attack of a larger group the chief danger lay in the possible adverse action of the wind which might take one deeper and deeper into enemy territory while one was milling around unless the leader took pains to elongate his curves toward home leaders of formations were held responsible for having the formation fly at the designated altitude and for observing ground signals reporting the number of planes seen in the air the towns over which they had taken their patrols and the fact that at the end of two hours in the air the patrol was reasonably near field seven and not so far away as to be obliged to make forced landings through lack of gas and oil the members of each formation were also questioned as to what they had seen happening on the ground as well as concerning planes which they had passed in the air a pilot can hardly get too much practice in formation flying since it forces him to fly by the feel of his plane rather than by watching his instruments and observing the action of the nose of his plane as compared with the horizon 
Captain Davis and his staff of instructors at this field, owing to their conscientious effort to perfect their students in the intricacies of securing the proper formation in the air, executing manoeuvres with precision, maintaining their places in the formation, and learning to judge distances accurately, produced excellent results. An interesting device for teaching pilots to judge distance correctly was a dummy ship staked out on the ground beyond the line of hangars. Students were obliged to indicate required distances from this ship at various angles until they had acquired the ability to place themselves at exactly the specified angle and distance from the key ship. It was learned at the front that one of the chief factors of success in aerial fighting is the character and ability of the leader of the patrol. Unusually good eyesight, quick judgment based on experience and prudence, ability to think quickly and correctly in the face of great emergency, coolness and courage in time of danger, and, finally, a high degree of skill in carrying out his manoeuvres so as to facilitate the correct functioning of the patrol, such are the qualities which make a great flight commander. In the early days of the war, we heard a great deal about individual combats in the air. Fonck, the great French ace, is said to have won most of his victories by sudden and unexpected attack alone on a solitary adversary, whom he had been able, with his extraordinary vision, to spot from afar, and whom he had stalked as the Indian stalks the deer. The Indian must get to leeward of his quarry in order that its keen sense of smell may not enable it to detect his presence. The falcon-like Fonk must get between his adversary and the sun in order that his quarry may be unable to see him, and so escape from that terrible diving attack in which the pursuer, travelling at a rate of two hundred miles or more an hour, is upon him before he is even aware of his presence in the sky. This kind of aerial fighting has always appealed to newspaper readers and to pilots, but it has proved to be very expensive. Fonk is one of the few who survived this plan of aerial warfare, and it is said he was never outnumbered in a combat. The average pilot, however, must owe his safety and his efficiency as a fighter to his ability to form a perfectly working cog in the machine of the patrol. It was said that our pilots who passed successfully at Field 7 wasted less time at the front in acquiring the ability to fit into squadron manoeuvres and in learning new tactics than the pilots of any other army. After completing the work in formation flying at Field 7, students were sent to Field 8 to learn aerial combat. We were extremely fortunate in having at this field several of the very best combat pilots in existence. During the summer of 1918, Captain Robert Austin, the leading combat instructor, repeatedly demonstrated his ability to outmaneuver the best British and French aces that we could induce to visit the school. His flying was without flaw. He did not take such risks as did the British aces, and never went in for stunts near the ground or any unnecessary performances. 
but when combating against an opponent he showed an uncanny ability to outguess the other's next manoeuvre and to keep his enemy always at his mercy the wonderful record that our graduates made at the front and their success in sending down far more enemy planes than they themselves lost was due in part to their thorough training in formation flying but in very great measure to the confidence which came from having engaged in combat against captain austin and the members of his staff it was on field eight that a pilot had an opportunity to use every bit of the flying ability which he had acquired in all his previous experience some of the american trained pilots who had flown too long on the old type of preliminary training planes found it difficult to accustom themselves to the rapidity of manoeuvre demanded by the instructors at this field while it was necessary that the pilot should have a good foundation in ordinary flying before coming here and should be able to do aerial acrobacy with skill and confidence it was also essential that he should not have acquired any bad habits the good combat pilot must be able to fly in any direction and in any attitude with supreme confidence in his machine and in his ability to put it in any desired position he must be extremely alert he must have formed the habit of seeing every visible plane in the sky and of knowing by instinct its approximate location at any given moment it was said that the remarkably long life of Fonk at the front was due to his constant inspection of every sector of the air probably seventy five per cent of the pilots shot down at the front were the victims of surprise attacks and had no idea that there was an enemy in the immediate vicinity until he was so close that it was impossible to escape it was here on field eight that the aggressive spirit of a good polo player or of a first-class football player placed him in the front ranks of the combat pilots the sluggish flyer is likely to leave himself open to attack by an aggressive pilot the active energetic aggressive fighter is not only more likely to gain the advantage of offensive tactics but will also be more likely to spot his enemy first and gain the benefit of position the american boy is particularly good in games requiring quick judgment and correct action this tray made him excellent in meeting the rapidly changing conditions of aerial combat there were no hard and fast rules that could be laid down as to how to win out in a dog-fight as the rough-and-tumble aerial combats were called if a hun gets on your tail and you see the traces coming close you will most likely do some acrobatics that you never have done before in this work a steady hand a cool head and an all-seeing eye are the essential features of safety add to them ability to fly and skill in using the machine gun and your results spell success so we were told by pilots from the front all the planes used on field eight were equipped with camera guns built like a machine gun but shooting pictures instead of bullets the pictures register the position of the enemy at the moment that the trigger is pulled 
In this way, it is possible for the instructor and the student to see what would have happened in actual combat. Examination of these pictures illustrates the tendency of one pilot to shoot when still at too great a distance for effective work, of another pilot to overshoot the mark, and of a third to fail to make sufficient allowance for the speed of the opposing machine. In actual aerial gunfire, from six to ten bullets are fired in every burst or volley. This burst will have a spread of about thirty feet. If the gun is properly directed, the enemy plane will pass through this thirty-foot fan with a good chance of being hit in some vital spot. The camera gun takes but one picture for a burst but that picture shows just what portions of the enemy plane would have come under gunfire, since it shows the direction in which the plane was flying and the distance of the plane at the time the shot was fired. Anyone who has ever done any target practice knows the importance of being able to learn the exact results as soon as possible after firing. When the student arrives at the stage where it is advisable for him to use an actual machine gun, he can aim at a target on a lake or on sand. In either case, he is able to see at once, by the splash of the water or the little clouds of dust, exactly where his shots are hitting. The main drawback is that he is not firing at a rapidly moving airplane, but at targets which, under the most favorable conditions, are only able to move in an area of two dimensions instead of three. With the camera gun, on the other hand, the aviator can fire at an airplane, which is going through all the gyrations of aerial combat. He then can descend, have his pictures immediately developed, and see the results of his judgment and skill. Failure to allow for deflection, forgetfulness of the fact that both gun platform and target are in rapid motion, overconfidence or the reverse are plainly shown in the permanent record of the pictures good shots were just as plainly recorded and more likely to be preserved than the others the first work at field eight was to train a pilot in the use of sights on his gun small parachutes were used these were released at about ten thousand feet care being taken to see that they were not dropped over territory where other machines were flying in large numbers the greatest danger from a parachute is that it will get tangled up in the tail of the plane consequently the best method is to release it when making a tight spiral or a skid with the motor off in either case the draft being athwart the ship will carry the parachute away from the tail Shooting at the parachute was considered the best way of beginning, because it involved less danger than shooting at another plane. When two pilots worked together, one acted as a target for the first half of the period, and the other for the second half. The quarry was ordered to fly steadily in a given direction, while the other pilot practiced shooting at him from directly behind, from the sides, above and below so as to secure practice at all angles and be obliged to make widely different allowances for direction and speed. It was advised that the attacker dive at his target many times, taking pitches only when sure of his results. Furthermore, pilots were encouraged to use the full allowance of their time, 
even though something happened to their target. It was related of Lieutenant Luke, whose short life at the front was full of an extraordinary number of victories over the Hun, that he never came in unless he had to, and that he was constantly borrowing someone else's plane. So greatly did he appreciate the truth that practice makes perfect. It was said that his death was due to his fondness for fighting alone and his dislike of formation flying. His record is more fully given elsewhere. Practice in avoiding surprise attack was taught as follows. A pilot was sent out to patrol the road between two towns. His orders were to patrol his designated territory until he saw his adversary and then to engage in combat. Naturally, it was the object of the attacker to employ all the rules for successful attack, namely to make use of the sun, mist, and clouds so as to approach without being seen, and to keep between his quarry and the sun when delivering the final shot. His object was to be directly in the area in which the quarry would have the greatest difficulty of seeing anything. As soon as sufficient practice had been obtained in single patrols, groups were designated to patrol between given points, and other groups were told off to attack them. The instructions were that members of the patrol should fly well apart, avoiding close formations, and that each member of the formation should s to and fro so as to have a clear vision of the entire sky. The first member of the patrol to sight the opposing group was directed to leave his place in the formation and signal to the leader. When the attack was made, each member of the patrol was directed to pick out an adversary and combat with him, taking care to avoid collision with other planes. After making one shot with his camera gun, each pilot was directed to attempt to withdraw as fast as possible to one of the boundaries of the patrolled area. The pursuing pilot was directed to cease pursuit as soon as his adversary had reached this rendezvous. The escaping pilot was then directed to circle at an agreed altitude and wait for the other members of his group. On their arrival they formed again and continued as before. It was expected that in this course at Field 8 a pilot should learn to sit tight in his plane in such a manner as to be able to use his gun sights without moving about in his seat, to use his sights quickly and accurately, as instinctively as a trap-shooter firing at clay pigeons, to handle his plane intuitively in all manoeuvres, and be able to bring it out of any given evolution in the desired position with relation to his opponent to keep his eye constantly on the enemy and fly by the feel of his ship, to make successful aggressive attacks under various conditions, to maneuver out of a difficult position and turn the tables on his opponent, to acquire a falcon-like ability to see everything in the sky above and below, and to spot his quarry from afar. The pilot who was able to satisfy Captain Austin of his ability to do these things had no reason to fear that he would be outmaneuvered by any Hun whom he was likely to meet, 
of course if through carelessness or misfortune he became separated from his formation and was attacked by superior numbers his ability to engage in successful combat was of small importance compared with the speed of his ship in getting home at the time the armistice was signed captain later major harry l wingate who was in charge of the field was extraordinarily successful in overcoming the difficulties of keeping in commission a large number of the monoplanes and other types of small scout machines which were in use at this field and which received very severe handling in the course of aerial combat work constant inspection of machines after they had come in from flight a high morale among the enlisted mechanics and a splendid determination to overcome every obstacle at no matter what cost enabled captain wingate to graduate from fifteen to twenty men every flying day at his field considering the type of planes that he had to work with and the severity of their use this was a remarkable achievement while still living at field eight the student received instruction in aerial fire at field fourteen which was built especially for this purpose the work consisted of shooting with vickers machine-guns mounted on type twenty-four neuports and using the victor gear the targets were on the ground and consisted of trenches silhouettes and condemned machines with shot screens so placed as to register hits when the shooting was made with proper deflection during the course each student fired from eight hundred to one thousand rounds in the air and by being able to see the dust fly attained confidence in using his sights and proved that he had a sufficient knowledge of deflection to engage successfully in aerial combat at the front diving at ground targets requires nerve and confidence but proved not to be as dangerous as had been supposed there were no casualties at this field captain george w iper who had entire charge of the work in aerial gunnery after major g bunnell went to the front carried on as successfully as his predecessor End of section fourteen